If you've flown very much, you've probably heard something like this. The captain has turned on the fastened seatbelt sign. Please be seated and make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened. We may be experiencing some turbulence in the next few minutes. Now sometimes turbulence are just minor bumps. But there are other times that, that turbulence can be so rough you feel like your plane is going to fall out of the sky and, and your plane is going to just break apart. My wife was, was on an evening flight across country several years ago when the flight encountered what she said were some terrible turbulence. I don't know how bad the, the turbulence actually were, but I do know that the lady seated next to her became a lifelong friend because Sherry held onto her arm the entire flight. And the problem with turbulence are they can come out of nowhere. You can be looking out your window enjoying the flight when all of a sudden you're hit by turbulence that rocked your world. That's just how it is. And that's how life is. Three months ago, most of us were doing whatever we wanted to do, going wherever we wanted to go, planning trips and vacations. But now the entire United States is virtually under a stay-at-home order. Three months ago, we were experiencing what some would say was the best economy ever. The stock market was higher than ever before. Unemployment was at an all-time low. But today, the stock market has dropped exponentially. Business is closed, and they are saying that unemployment could hit as high as 32%. Three months ago, for many of us, the phrase global pandemic was, was only something we heard about in a science fiction movie. But today, we're going through one. And they are projecting that the death toll in the United States could be between 100 and 240,000 people. Our lives can change in an instant. We live in uncertain times. But listen, the good news is even in certain uncertain times, we can build our lives on a certain foundation, a foundation that can withstand even the most difficult, turbulent times. And that foundation is Jesus. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. He said, Christ is the only foundation. Jesus said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on a bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and ignores it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And the truth is, there are some of us who have built our house, our life, on the sinking sand of this world. We may call ourselves Christians. We may belong to a church. But we have built our lives on the things of this world and around the people of this world. And when the storms of life come and those things and those people are gone, we discover that there is nothing left, nothing but worry and fear. But if we build our lives on the solid rock, on Jesus, then when the storms of life come and the things of this world are washed away, 
we are still filled with hope and peace and joy. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 15 verse 13, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So how can I live a life filled with joy and hope and peace rather than fear and worry? I put my trust in Him. David said, some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the Lord our God. The prophet Isaiah said, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Some trust in politicians and government. Others trust in doctors and scientists. And still others trust in the economy and Wall Street. But if you want a life that is filled with joy and hope and peace, the only way is to put your trust in the Lord your God. To live your life fully surrendered to His control, knowing that He is in control even when it looks like things are spiraling out of control. You've got to fix your thoughts on Him, knowing that no matter what happens, He is in control. But how can you do that? Well, I want us to take a, a few minutes this morning and walk through what Jesus taught His disciples as He was headed to the cross. And I want us to begin about a week before Jesus was crucified. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus is headed to Jerusalem from Galilee for the very last time. He had just had an encounter with the rich young ruler. Now, if you remember that story, the rich young ruler came to Jesus asking, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commands, do what they say. To which this young man said, I've obeyed the commands since I was young. Well, the Bible says Jesus looked at this young man and he had deep love for him. And then Jesus said this, there is one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then come follow me and you will have riches in heaven. But this young man went away sad because he had a lot of things. Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. To this the disciples asked, then, then who can be saved? You see, the disciples thought that, that material blessings were a sign of God's favor. And if anyone was going to get into heaven, it was the rich people. And to this, Jesus said, humanly speaking, it's impossible. It's impossible for anyone to get to heaven. But with God, all things are possible. It's impossible for anyone to get to heaven. In other words, there is nothing that you can do to earn your place in God's kingdom, but God can do what you can't do. Now, as Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, I want you to listen to what it says in Mark chapter 10, verse 32. It says, They were now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Don't miss that. The disciples were filled with awe, but the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Now commentators are divided as to whether Mark intended to picture one or two groups. 
Was this Jesus and the disciples or was this Jesus and the disciples and a larger group following behind? Some translations even make it seem that there was just Jesus and his disciples. But the grammar of this passage seems to indicate clearly that there were two groups. There were the disciples and there were those who were following behind. The disciples were filled with awe, but the crowd that was following behind were overwhelmed with fear. The word awe means to be filled with wonder. The word fear is the word we get our word phobia from. It means dread. It means terror. Now I want you to get something and write this down. This is important. Your perspective on life will be determined by your proximity to the Savior. Your perspective in, on life will be determined by your proximity to the Savior. Isn't it amazing how two people can look at the same thing and yet see completely different things? Everyone walking on the road to Jerusalem knew that there was unrest in the city. They knew that the religious leaders were out to get Jesus. They knew that a storm was brewing. But the disciples looked with awe and the crowds looked with fear. When you look at our world, when you listen to the news, does it bring fear and dread? Or does it bring a holy awe as you ponder what God is doing in our world? In Habakkuk's day, the people were overwhelmed with what was happening. But listen to God's response in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5. God said, look around at the nations, look and be amazed in awe. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe even if someone told you. I don't pretend to be a prophet who knows the future or, or what God is up to, but I do trust Him. I do know He has a plan, and I do know that everything is moving in the exact direction He wants it to move in. And the reason I know that is because I know Him. And my relationship with Him and my walk with Him affects my perspective on life and what is happening in life. There are most likely many of you who have tuned into this broadcast who, if you were honest, would have to admit that you were more like the crowd following behind than you are the disciples following along. You're not a disciple. You're part of the crowd. You're like the rich young ruler who, who, who never gave up all to follow Jesus. You've never stepped out of the boat. You've never left the tax collector's booth to follow Jesus. Jesus' call was always to come and follow me. But your response was, wait a minute. I've got things to do, maybe later. Maybe you said to Jesus, Jesus, I would love for you to walk with me, but I'm headed this way. But becoming a disciple always involves leaving this world behind and following Jesus wherever He goes, wherever He leads. The world is filled with people who follow Jesus at a distance but don't really know Him. Now if you're one of those, stop it. Quit walking with the crowd and step out today and become a disciple. Now there are others of you who are disciples. You can remember that time when you stepped out of the boat. You left the world and the things of this world behind to follow Jesus. And your life was changed. But the truth is something has happened. Today you're just like the crowd. 
And I would say to you, run back up and walk beside Jesus. Get close to Him so you can hear His voice and see His face. I love the words of this song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full into His wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You see, your proximity to Jesus will determine your perspective on life. So now is a great time to either establish or re-establish some habits to build intimacy, proximity to Jesus. Two major ones that can help you as you walk through life is prayer and Bible study. A quiet time. Getting alone and talking to God and listening to God. That's prayer. And then Bible study. Opening up God's Word and letting God's Word speak to you. And listen. The amazing thing is the circumstances don't always change, but the way we view them changes drastically when our proximity to Jesus changes. You see, fear loses its power in the presence of Jesus. Now, if you're following along, you can type amen in the comments right there because understand, the closer you are to Jesus, the more you will see your fears subside. Your proximity to Jesus will change your perspective on life. But let's move on. Jesus gets to Jerusalem. He cleanses the temple. He, he has it out with the religious leaders. Judas makes the decision to portray Jesus. And now Jesus is getting ready for the cross. It is the night before his crucifixion and he's meeting with his disciples celebrating Passover and he's teaching them some truths. And as he's teaching, he says these words in John 14, verses 1 through 3. He says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. There's more than enough rooms in my father's house. If, if this were so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready... I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now here's the second truth I want you to learn. Your present fears can be overwhelmed by your future hope. Your present fears can be overwhelmed by your future hope. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Trust me. And then notice what he says. He didn't say everything is going to be okay. He didn't say nothing bad is going to happen to you. He didn't say any of those things. He pointed to their future hope. He said, in spite of everything that may happen down here on this earth, in my Father's house are many rooms. This world is going to have trouble in it. This world is going to have pain. This world is going to have suffering and loss. But this world is not where we find our hope. We were not created to live in a fallen, sin-filled world. God has something much better in store for us. I love what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 17 and 18. He says, our present troubles are small. And won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. 
so we don't look at the troubles we see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Small troubles? Do you know what Paul was going through? He had been beaten. He had been stoned. He had been shipwrecked. He had been imprisoned. He had been left for dead. He had gone without. And yet he said, the troubles I face now are small and momentary. They won't last very long. And they're nothing compared to what God has planned for us. Listen, what does God have planned? Oh, he has great plans. The Bible says, the eye hath not seen, the ears have not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for them. God has a room prepared for us in our Father's house. Listen, Jesus already has my room ready. This world as it is, is not your home. If you get too attached to this world, you may never experience the one you were created for. And here's what I know. The more I begin to focus on eternity and less on the temporary, the more peace I will experience. Troubles will happen, but those troubles never need to take hold of your heart. We trust God's plan and we trust God's promise. In his Father's house are many rooms and he has one ready for each and every one of us. This world is not our home. But there's one final thing I want you to see. As Jesus continues to teach, he gives them an incredible promise. I want you to listen to his words in John chapter 14, verses 27 and 28. He says, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I told you. I am going away, but I will come back to you again. Now the word that is used here for peace literally describes a tranquil state of the soul, a soul at rest, a satisfied soul. Now when the world thinks of peace, it most often defines it with negative terms. It means to be without trouble to be free from conflict, to have no stress, to have no, to have no suffering. Peace for the world is just the absence of what troubles us. It is being free from those things that cause us to be fearful and anxious or depressed or worried. But that is an insufficient and incomplete definition of peace. But that's the only peace that this world can offer. That's why Jesus said, the peace I give is completely different than the peace that the world gives. You see, the peace that the world gives is momentary. The peace that Jesus gives is permanent. The peace that the world gives is based on a feeling. The peace that God gives is based on faith. The peace that the, the world gives is based on my situation. The peace that God gives is based on my relationship with the Savior. And here's the truth. The peace of God isn't the absence of problems. The peace of God is the presence of Jesus. The Bible says that peace is a fruit 
of the Spirit is a result of the Holy Spirit living in you. And the Bible says that if you do not have the Holy Spirit living in you, you don't belong to Jesus. So is the Holy Spirit living in you? Because if He is, then the peace of God that passes all understanding is available to you. And so that means is if you are overwhelmed by the circumstances of our day, if the situation that we are facing is, is bringing you worry and dread and fear, it's because you have not appropriated the peace that is already available to you if you're a child of God. Now, if you're not a child of God, you're never going to experience that peace. You can experience momentary peace, the absence of conflict, the absence of stress, but your peace is going to come and go. But if you give your life to Jesus, He can give you a peace that passes all understanding. And so if you're here and you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, then I want to give you an opportunity to do that right here, right now. Would you, wherever you're at, wherever you're meeting, bow your head right now and close your eyes. And if you're here and you haven't given your life to Jesus, would you pray this prayer in faith to Him right now? Dear Jesus, I humbly come to you today asking you to forgive all my sins. Please forgive me for living life my way. Please forgive me for living like I am the boss of my own life. I am the God of my own world. I'm so sorry. I don't want to live that way anymore. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe that you died on a cross. I believe you rose from the grave so that I could be forgiven, so that I could have hope, so that I could have peace. And today, I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to come into my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Take control of my life. Jesus, from this moment on, I want to live for you. I want to serve you. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. And thank you for saving me. Amen.